This is an ABC podcast. Hello there, my name is Maggie Dent. I'm a parenting author, educator, resilience specialist, a boy champion who likes girls and sometimes known as the queen of common sense. Let's face it, parenting today is confusing. It's an incredible juggle. All the expectations on both mums and dads has completely flipped and I want parents to stop beating themselves up that they're lousy parents because they've had a meltdown in the shopping centre. Us older parents have probably had exactly the same moments and, you know, your kids can still turn out to be quite awesome kids even if you shouted at them this morning. So the podcast is something that's a bit light, highly informative and I'm hoping really practical. During this series, I'll be chatting to some of my favourite experts from all around the world about a whole range of issues that I am constantly asked, help. So I'm going to cut through a lot of that information overload of parenting today, in the trenches of today, not when I was parenting. And I'm so blessed that my beautiful sons are all breeding at the moment because I've still got my finger on the pulse. Quite often, the things you're worrying about, you just need to let go a little bit. You actually are all doing a pretty good job that you can put the stick down that you beat yourself up with and celebrate and punch the air when things work out because parenting is not a perfect art form. Raising children has always had challenging moments and that sometimes in the messiness, the craziness, the noisiness, the unpredictableness, there's just pure exquisite joy. (laughs) episode I'm talking about possibly the biggest challenge for any parent today which is screens. People ask me all the time how do I find a balance with screens in our kids lives? How do I get them off them without World War 3 erupting? What is actually going on in our beautiful children's brains when their eyes are stuck with that screen in front of them which is incredibly fascinating. Oh, yes, and we will touch that horrible one. How do we protect our children from seeing pornography and having their innocence ripped away from them by some random stranger online who doesn't know them? So this is what parents like you are saying about screen time in their homes. A midwife told me quite early on that screen time wasn't a great idea. My eight-year-old, his friends are playing multiplayer games online, you know, that's kind of how they chat and converse and what they talk about in the schoolyard, so it's a big part of his life, so. I don't have an issue with screens as such, but we limit screen time to Fridays and weekends because my children are feral otherwise. Children definitely should have less screen time, (laughs) but they emotionally blackmail their parents into giving in. (laughs) So... What's the solution? Quit screens? Dr Christy Goodwin is a digital wellness educator and a mum of three little boys. Her book is Raising Your Child in a Digital World and it tells us all about how this screen world is impacting on the growth and development of our children, particularly the way that their wonderful brain is being wired. And she gives lots of practical and sensible strategies for parents out there who are experiencing techno tantrums and moments where the screen is a lifesaver and also it creates nightmares. 
Christy, I know that you are busy helping parents and educators understand how to navigate this new screen world. My goodness, it is seriously worrying and confusing. So can we begin first by clarifying for those who are listening, what do we mean when we say screens and the digital world? Because TV's been around for a long time. Absolutely. Look, raising screen ages is really challenging. And as you suggested, there are so many screens available today. And that's one of the issues that we're struggling with as parents and educators. There's the educational potential of screens. We've got touchscreen devices in classrooms, even in early childhood centres sometimes. Um, We've got tablet devices and laptops. Um, So when we're talking about screens, it encompasses all screens. So as you suggested, the good old-fashioned TV set, it goes right through to touchscreens, mobile devices, games consoles, laptops. Um, In the very near future, we're going to be starting to see augmented reality um, and virtual reality. So the actual definition of a screen will become a little redundant there because in the very near future, um, the screen is going to be superseded by all these new technologies as well, wearable technologies, etc. And I think that's one of the things that does parents' heads in. You get get a grip on one bit Mm. and before you know it, it's just transformed. So Now, Christy, your background as an early childhood educator and mine as a high school teacher, so we're pretty passionate about raising good learners and creative thinkers and problem solvers, as well as kids who are sometimes happy, fantastically healthy, confident, kind and resilient. (laughs) Tell me what your main concerns are around the tsunami of technology, especially the handheld? My biggest concern is what I call the displacement effect. It's the opportunity cost. We've got some emerging research that's telling us now that by the time the average child turns eight years of age, they have spent the equivalent of one year of their life with digital devices. Our kids in many instances are spending more time with pixels than with people. The research tells us very conclusively what kids' basic developmental priorities are. And my concern is that screen time, if it's used excessively, if kids are dunked in the digital stream prematurely, that it's eroding their basic needs being met. Uh, They're not getting enough sleep. They're not being physically active. They're not playing. They're not having real face time with, with other human beings. Wow, that really resonates with me because I'm really passionate about resilience and building human connectedness. So it is my worry sometimes watching families always out, yep, and, and all the grown-ups are talking and conversing and all the children are plugged in and and being quiet and well-behaved. And I worry, how do they hear grandpa's stories? How can nanny ask how something's going? How can I build stronger sense of feeling loved and valued by the people in my tribe, in my family? That is also something that sustains us as humans. Mm. Kids need, as you suggested, ping pong, serve and return interaction. You can't get that from a screen yet then nothing replicates real human interaction. We've got studies where we've done brain scans of of even infants, babies, and we know that really unique uh, neural pathways are activated when they are looking at a human face Mm. um, in ways that don't activate when they're looking at an object. So we know that the brain is wide. We are biologically wide for relational connection. Um, And screens can sometimes even be, you know, a physical impediment. There's a colloquial term called brexting, breastfeeding and texting. And we know in some instances, even newborn babies aren't getting the facial mapping that they need because carers are sometimes digitally distracted. So, I mean, it's a huge concern um, and something that I think is just going to keep increasing given, you know, the multitude of screens. I have a real concern too around um, 
you know, the, what early childhood educators are telling me, and you've nailed one of them already, that we have our five-year-olds turning up with the lowest oral vocab they've ever had, the poorest self-regulation, an inability to um, play with other children. And we've also got a new study that's just showing how today's kids, 20 years down, we can't jump as far, can't slide, we can't touch our toes. Mm. So the passivity around it is is another concern. But I also want to touch on becoming human. That's my big mm. focus again because, you know, babies have to learn what those facial expressions mean. But as children are getting language, language isn't just language. Language is communication. So when we link a facial expression to words, this is like primary human development. So I'm looking at it, are we are we really running a risk of creating children who can't necessarily manage more effectively in relationships, um, both in their home environments, their school environments, and later on in their work environments? Yes, I am really worried about that. I think as we just talked about that displacement effect, so they're missing out on those conversations. They're missing out on opportunities to read facial cues and body language um, if they're not spending enough time engaging in those sorts of real interactions. I think my other concern, and I know this is a sensitive topic, is that it's often parents that are digitally distracted. You know, we have our heads buried on our phones and we're missing those micro moments, you know, the wink at swimming lessons when somebody has finally managed to nail the dive that they've been trying for months to do. You know, when I sometimes ask parents in my seminars, how many photos do you have on your phone? (laughs) (laughs) And they nearly freeze up and I think, gosh, I had hardly any of me Mm. as a kid, which was really a bit sad. But so often do I see them at those events filming, not being present. And in some way, it looks like I'm being a great parent because I've got the moment for later. But what's happened is you've got so many of those, you never go back and look at them anyway. And in the end, we're capturing still moments and little things without being participating in the present moment. Yeah. We we actually, I give that a colloquial term. We know a lot of our teenagers are suffering from FOMO, fear of missing out. Many parents are suffering from something called FOM, fear of making memories. It's not a real memory until I've digitally archived it on my phone. And one of the reasons parents are doing it is, as you suggested, we want to sort of capture it with the good intention that one day we'll go back and revisit it. But the other reason is that many of us as adults are suffering from what we're calling a colloquial term called digital dementia, that our memory-making capacities are changing um, because we are drowning in so much information. If we're recording the moment, you know, I watched my son's preschool graduation. Um, I took the two-year-old at the time, so we were sent to the back of the room and I watched the graduation behind a sea of mobile phones. Every person there was missing the real moment to digitally archive it. So it's tricky. It's finding that balance, which Mm. is something we're trying to grapple with, I think. You know, we do know that sometimes a screen saves parents' sanity, let's be honest. And I love them on long-haul flights, trust me. (laughs) Go for it. Um, But I think we need to have that um, conversation about how can we kind of do both. Mm. Yeah, I talk about blending the analogue and the digital worlds. You know, it's not about saying that technology is toxic, it's not taboo, it's not bad for kids if it's used appropriately, if it's used intentionally. My concern is when it's used too early, when it's used too often and when it's used excessively. Play is a a huge issue. Um, We've got children developing physical injuries like they're calling it tech neck and text 
claw and gaming thumb. Um, so we really need to make sure that we still preserve those play opportunities. And one really common thing I'm asked by parents is, you know, do you provide screens on play dates? And, you know, that is just such a rich opportunity for kids because there's multiple kids there to actually play. Mm-hmm. And there are a whole lot of online safety risks and a whole lot of other concerns when yeah. we introduce screens on play dates and yeah. sleepovers as well. So prevention, let me just, you know, throw another one of those statistics out. I didn't realise that quite a significant number of our three and four-year-olds and five-year-olds are ending up at physiotherapists because of some of those things. But one of the most common ones is back problems Mm. because the position of a handheld device has got that, you know, spine forward. But you see, if you get a strong shoulder girdle before that happens, which, of course, is what happens when you hang out of monkey bars um, and trees, That is exactly what repeatedly builds up the upper body strength. We are seeing a huge increase in young kids and even primary and adolescents being diagnosed with attentional issues. And one, certainly not the only reason, is that kids aren't getting those fundamental movement skills. I know in our local Mm. area, the local council have ripped out all of the merry-go-rounds. Gone are the good old-fashioned seesaws that gave your sibling a good dose of whiplash and a bruised Mm. tailbone. We've got the very (laughs) safe, boring, spring-loaded ones. Um, And kids don't roll down hills. You know, I took my son to a local park to roll down a hill and a council worker came over wagging his finger, telling me that it was dangerous that my son would go through the divots, which he'd already found, and he realised that's where he got airborne. So, of course, he was going to the divots to roll down the hill. So we've just got to make sure some of those fundamental skills. I love this saying, the basics work if you work the basics. And I think so many of us aren't working the basics because we're forgetting what kids really need. So what we do know is what children need to develop really well has not changed. No. But the world around our children has changed. And I think that's what I want parents to sit with rather than just beat yourself up and feel guilty. Mm. Hang on a minute. If you'd had your kids back when I had mine, because I'm really old, you know, this wouldn't have been your biggest challenge. You've got three kids, Mm -hmm. Christy. So weave it into how do you manage screen time in a real real home? Yeah. And I'm the first to admit, because somebody will see me out in public, I use screens and my kids do use screens. I I talk about digital amputation not being the solution um, because our kids actually need to learn how to form healthy and helpful relationships with technology. And my big mission is that we can teach kids from a young age to use technology as a functional tool because the reality is they will inherit a digital future. We've got firm boundaries and that's a really important message. I talk to parents about being the pilot of the plane and as the pilot, we need to be in the pilot seat putting those boundaries in place. So at the moment, and my kids at the moment are eight, five and eight weeks of age, um, the eight-week-old does not have screen time. I'll make that clear. I don't want this to be a contentious topic. Um, But the eight and the five-year-old do have screen time. Um, We, at the moment, and it's important to note that our guidelines have changed over time, just as they get older and their their requirements at school have changed. But at the moment, my kids go pretty much screen-free Monday to Friday. Friday afternoon, they have some time watching a movie. We have a movie night. And then they have some time on the weekend to use the iPad. And most of the time, they're using it together. Um, We limit what they can watch. We also have restrictions around when you know, we try and avoid it before they go to bed. Also really critical, if you do use it before kids go to school, I know some families have it as part of their morning routine, um, avoiding the rapid fire, fast paced 
interaction or t- type of screen activities because it hyper arouses their brain and it's near impossible yeah. for them to sit in class and listen to Mrs. Brown read them a book. Um, so boundaries around when, what they can access. We also have limitations on who they can interact with and play because cyber safety yeah. is such a massive issue now. Um, also boundaries on how they use it. They know very well, you know, we've got a rule, no apps in laps, yeah. keeping devices for a whole range of other physical um, reasons, but limiting their Wi-Fi exposure um, in that regard and also where the devices go. We very clearly delineated in our house the, what we call no-go tech zone. So keeping tech out of bedrooms and um, we keep it away from the, the meal area. So the dinner time is a tech-free zone and they're very good at letting dad know if he ever brings his phone to the dinner table <laughs> and dad takes a call. The car, really important, yes. as you said, except for long-distance trips, keeping the car tech-free, play areas, you know, something as simple that we often overlook that seems kind of benign is the background TV, but like keeping screens out of play spaces where we can. So trying to carve out those those places and spaces um, so that they can start to be in control. My big concern is that I think as adults, most of us would admit mm. we've lost control of technology. We get an alert or a notification and we're salivating like Pavlov's dogs. <laughs> um, so my mission is to get our kids not to be like that. I call it not being a slave to the screen, but taming the technology technology so that they're in control and using it as a tool. And let's just be really clear that every family has to work out their own sense of those healthy boundaries because it's a little different when you're under five. It's a little yep. different when you're up to this and it's very different when you're an adolescent. So once again, it's it's something that has to be continually evolves. updated and evolved. The kids watch TV and I let them go for it, which I shouldn't, but to save an argument... They don't end up interacting with each other or with you and they're just so focused on it and not they can't seem to stop. I think it created like um, a deficit of willpower. Video games are very easy and it's very easy to get things that you want done. Very few of them are like hard enough to require, I think, the same kind of motivation that it takes to say study well or master a text or like um, get your head around a concept. And so I think... There's a certain distractedness, I find, especially if I'm playing a lot of video games sometimes, which I still do, I find that if I go back to, say, reading, it's hard to, like, read for two, three hours straight, whereas it's very easy to play a video game for three to six hours. It's a big part of his life, so you have to balance that with homework and all the other things that, you know, need to provide a more rounded upbringing, I think. You know, for us, it's a never-before-school thing. It's, you know, just at the weekends. They tend to um, completely zone out and not listen, and I find it really hard to get them into bed and calm down of an evening, so we just have got rid of screen time um, night during the week um, and Friday night and weekends is when they are able to watch. It's not that it's evil and, you know, it needs must sometimes if I've got to get work done or um, need to take a phone call and they need to be quiet or if we need to put them in the car. But generally, Fridays and weekends is best for us. It does really concern me that no longer are they doing things that actually give them pleasure, like going out scootering or biking or climbing walls or whatever it is. In their mum's household, it's a no-TV household, they watch videos and might play games on the computer but she doesn't have a TV. There are different devices in different homes but we're on the same path about too much screen time being bad. Look it's you know screaming, throwing on the floor, I want to, I want to. The tantrum is disproportional to the crime. (laughs) Okay so come on, (laughs) 
unplug a techno tantrum and your best suggestions. <laughs> what do we do? So I want to ex- just explain that the techno tantrum is typical. It's an, a, what we call a typical neurobiological response. Many parents see the techno tantrum and one of their immediate responses is my child's addicted. They're not addicted to technology. They are having a normal response. Sometimes it's an age-appropriate response. You know, your three-year-old will throw a tantrum if you cut the sandwich the wrong way. (laughs) The techno tantrum could be just another expression of that. But also, I've seen techno tantrums with eight-year-olds. I've seen 18-year-olds have them. So we know it's a neurobiological response. One of the reasons we get the techno tantrum is because Believe it or not, watching other people playing video games on YouTube is a pleasurable thing for our kids to do. I don't get that. I don't either, but (laughs) kids are telling me they do enjoy that. So whatever they're doing online, and this is also why we as adults find it hard to put our phones down, our brain is releasing and their brain is releasing dopamine and it makes them feel really good and they want more and more of it. So a couple of strategies here. Cognitive prime. Warn your kids that their screen time is going to come to the end, but don't truncate it. You know, I would hate it. (laughs) if my husband came in in the middle of a good episode and said, turn it off. So let them get to the next level. Let them finish the episode, but prime them that their screen time is about to end. My other strategy here is to have an appealing transition activity, to tell them to turn off Fortnite and go and do their maths homework or put their phone away and set the dinner table is not an appealing transition activity. Give them something that they'd like to do. And this is where green time after screen time. And green time, I'm referring to time out in nature. Nature calms kids down. It helps their brains recalibrate. It lets their sensory and their nervous systems calm back down. Particularly with boys, we get very intense and aggressive techno tantrums. Their sensory and their nervous system is just overwhelmed. It's hyper aroused. So time out in nature calms them down. Getting them to do something physically active, ride your bike, jump on the trampoline, go for a, you know, take the dog for a walk. Those sorts of strategies can also counteract the techno tantrum. And when they're in that fit of rage, physically touch them. You know, we know touching releases oxytocin and it's near impossible for your child to be going feral when you have your hand on their shoulder or or rubbing them, as you say, Maggie, in their magical tickle spot. That's been a winner for our family. Also gets husbands to put bins out, (laughs) I've discovered. Told you it's a good one, that one. It's a winner. You know that I'm a really passionate boy champion and I am really worried. I am really worried about today's boys because we know that, once again, we've got biological drivers and instinctual behaviours to be those protectors and mammoth hunters. We don't see them outside now, Mm. you know, um, and I reflect back to my boys' childhood. I could see them all on their bikes doing dangerous things. They were even building bear pits and they were kind of falling out of trees and doing dangerous, risky stuff where they learnt that sometimes it hurt because you made Mm. a really poor choice. And we know that their brain is wired a little differently and a little bit more primed to make that dopamine stuff. So, you know, if I've got a son and and I want him to raise him to be a good man, how do we do that? with a world that gaming is the thing? First of all, making sure that we're introducing gaming or the types of games that are age appropriate. There are great tools that will allow you to find games that are suitable for eight and nine-year-old boys. Particularly, we know boys are flocking towards violent, aggressive, antisocial games. And we know all brains have mirror neurons, meaning that they are wired to imitate. This is why our kids always, it's usually our partner's bad behaviour that they (laughs) imitate. But they are hardwired to copy what they see. So if they're playing these antisocial violent games, it doesn't mean they'll necessarily become 
antisocial and violent, but if they've got other tendencies, if there are other behavioural drivers, it could increase the chances that they are. My concern is the addictive potential of these games. These games have really sophisticated mechanics built into them to make them enter something that we call the state of insufficiency. There's never a finishing point. And this is why your your boy will look at you with his puppy dog eyes after he's been playing for four hours and will try and say to you, I've only just started. They get into what we call this state of flow. And because these games have no end point, this is where it's really difficult for boys um, because it can very quickly become addictive. And we know that boys' brains in particular are very vulnerable to those addictive types of activities. We also know that they, they're producing testosterone when they're playing these games. You know, what you were talking about with their hardwired biological drivers, they're getting those hits, but in a digital format, but they're not physically dispelling that testosterone. You know, there's only so much I can do sitting on the floor of my bedroom with the console in my hand. So a whole lot of concerns. But again, not saying, you know, don't let them game. If they are gaming, finding age appropriate games, having boundaries around how much time they can play on it, keeping it out, you know, in publicly accessible spots. Um, We know many online predators are approaching adolescent boys through these gaming platforms as well. So what can start off quite innocently Mm -hmm. with some of the apps that are around? It looks innocent, Mm. But it may be feeding a a sort of, um, you know, once again, a new brain map that's going to say I really want to be rewarded so that then by the time when I'm old enough to get one of these age, I am actually going to be primed to get addicted or hooked far more quickly than I would have if I hadn't done these other apps before. Yeah, look, you know, even toddlers that are playing some apps that are marketed towards parents as toddler-type apps have feedback loops built into them. These technologies... Uh, it's important to note, have all been designed in many instances by psychologists and neuroscientists to make them addictive. They appeal to our psychological vulnerabilities. And one of our human vulnerabilities is our need for reward. You know, we crave that. Um, So yes, I think we are becoming conditioned to that and conditioning young kids to that. You know, we see it even with adolescents, you know, who are infatuated with social media. They're conditioned on that external praise and likes. We've got adolescent girls who delete pictures before they've had a sufficient number of likes within a certain period of time. We know that our kids kind of more and more are exposed earlier because they copy us, let's be true. And I'd, I'd love you to share your story about your your son and <laughs> your phone because I thought that was really beautiful because we might think I haven't taught them so they shouldn't actually know how to get into my phone and do stuff. So can yes. you tell me that? I so, love uh, that story. So I have a, a, what I discovered was a very tech-savvy four-year-old son, <laughs> uh, Billy, I went to the bathroom and I will say it was a very quick toilet break. Um, and in the space of me going to the bathroom, I came back out and Billy had unlocked my phone, had asked Siri to change my Apple ID from Christy Goodwin um, and change my Google ID to another name. And the name that he had selected that he felt was appropriate um, was Stinky Bum Bum. Uh, rather humiliating when you reply to an email from a journalist about kids and screen time and your profile comes up as Stinky Bum Bum. <laughs> So I'm not perfect at this, but kids are tech savvy. And this is why it's also equally part scary. You know, they can stumble across inappropriate content. They can be approached by predators. And our kids are very vulnerable and trusting in many instances. So I often say to parents, you've got kids that can't wipe their bottom yet, but can download $250 in in in-app purchases on an app. So yeah, scary stuff. Okay, That's an accident, by the way. (laughs) 
hot button issue that you and I have spoken about a lot, which just makes my heart ache sometimes, and that is that is pornography. Mm. And um, in our world today, we know it's children don't even have to go looking for it, that it finds them. I know just automatically every single parent out there just went cringed and mm. they just went, oh, my gosh, he's not going there. Yeah, we are going there. Yep. We're going there because we are looking at one of the issues that will impact your child not to be a healthy adult in an intimate relationship. Talk to us a little bit about what you would advise for today's parents. One of the biggest things is, um, and it seems like such a counterintuitive thing for many parents to do, is to where we can, and I don't like shooting on parents, but I think we need to avoid using screen time as a punishment tool. Because if there's a threat that you're going to confiscate the iPad, you're going to ban the gaming console, they will never come to us if they have been exposed to something inappropriate, particularly pornography, because they think that our Reaction will be digital amputation. So really important where we can not to use it as a punishment tool. Um, you know, the research on punishment is a topic in and of itself, but we know punishment doesn't work long term. It makes you as a parent feel good because you've dealt with the situation. So avoiding using screen time as a punishment tool, um, we need to be keeping technology in publicly accessible spots. Um, it is very unlikely that your son is going to be downloading <laughs> pornography sitting next to you on the lounge. Or your daughter taking photographs Nudies. in the uh, yes. in the Yes. So really minimum, you know, being mindful of where the technology is. A really important thing that parents must do, and I don't mind what product they use, but installing internet filtering software on every internet connected device that your child has access to. And one of the often overlooked technologies where we know many kids are actually stumbling on or deliberately accessing pornography, it's the smart TV, the internet-connected TV that we often forget to put the the net nanny software on. So using a program to prevent or to minimise the chances. Now, I'm very realistic. You you must install that internet filtering software, but it does not mean your child won't be exposed to it. They can sit next to a friend on the bus, go to a friend's house for a play date or a sleepover. So we need to be having ongoing conversations with our kids. And I actually believe we need to start these conversations from around six years of age. We talk to them in age-appropriate ways. We don't have to use the word pornography, we certainly don't need to show them. I've had parents ask me what examples we show. We don't show them examples, but we start just very incidentally talking about public and private photos and public and private videos. And we reassure our kids, again, they're not going to get in trouble if they come to us, if they've seen some of it. But this is a huge issue. And the problem is no one's talking to our kids. I I hear lots of young people actually tell me it's harder to avoid pornography than it is to find it now which is just makes you realise, you know, how prolific this is. This is a really big one and I want parents to be brave. How do we have these conversations with our kids collectively so that what we're doing is actually doing with our children rather than doing to our children? Absolutely critical. So we often talk about with the fancy word is co-viewing or joint media engagement, but it basically means using technology with your kids. Even though you may not want to spend hours playing Fortnite, occasionally, every now and then, 
Your child will love to show you, teach you a thing or two, using it with them. You know, occasionally when if your child has access to a smartphone and social media, sitting down and doing a screen audit with them. I'm not talking about sneaking into their bedroom whilst they're asleep or whilst they're at school and scrolling their device, but going through it with them and having incidental conversations. You know, what do you think that person mm. suggested when they posted that or wrote that? It's about us coming up and, and with strategies and ways to use technology together um, not having it, you know, as discrete little units in bedrooms. And that's easy to do, you know, given that we've got these mobile devices. So using it together, using it in a functional way, you know, a simple strategy I say to parents, because parents often say, I feel guilty because I'm on my phone. And often I'm using it to do the lunch order, to reply to a text message, to organise the play date for somebody. So a strategy that works well for parents, and it also keeps you accountable as a parent, so you can't sort of sneak off down the Instagram rabbit hole, is articulating, verbalising. I'm just using my phone to reply to a text message. I'm just looking up where I can order you a pair of board shorts um, so that kids can start to see that you are using it. Many kids think that their parents are sitting there mindlessly scrolling social media when in actual fact they are, you know, doing something purposeful and functional. I was um, on a train station a few weeks ago and I was waiting for a train and the whole platform Mm. was looking at their screen and straight over in front of us were these beautiful birds doing some amazing things and then a few butterflies flew past and I looked around and thought, whoa, absolutely not one of you saw that moment of awe and wonder and I think as grown-ups... Don't just sit there feeling guilty. Just It's something that incrementally creeps up on all of us and that we just, once again, um, our boundaries are, are things that we can tighten at different times, yeah. but we need to do it as a family. Yes, I have so many parents say, I wish I'd got on top of this early. So I say to parents, start thinking about technology the minute you hand your toddler your smartphone. This is when you start firm, consistent boundaries, boundaries around not only what your child can do, but also personal boundaries around your use. With parents, particularly newbies, thinking very critically about what we post. There's this phenomenon called sharenting. You are curating your child's digital DNA with every photograph, every every Instagram post, every video that you take. So just um, have boundaries. Don't allow it to control your life. And I think so many of us, because technology is mobile now, the boundaries between work and home life have become blurred. You know, we can be watching our little one do ballet practice or soccer and dealing with a crisis in the office, but we're missing being in, in the moment. So being a good role model, we really want our kids to develop a healthy relationship with technology and to see it as something that serves a purpose and is functional. Oh, just love it. I love it. So, Dr. Christy Goodman, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Um, and we will let you get back to your beautiful little <laughs> eight-week-old baby who I'm hoping your mum's done a great job with. And thank you for being able to show us exactly what the science is telling us, but from a real practical space as a mum who's in the digital trenches. Okay, so how do you feel now? Are you prepped, informed, overwhelmed? Let me leave you with some of the tips about screen time so that if you feel like you've lost control of screen time in your home right now and you want to make some changes, you can absolutely hit the ground running. Just one tiny step at a time. Firstly, let's work out what's right for you and your family right now. Maybe it's no screens during the week. Maybe it's a serious limit to the Wi-Fi. Whatever it is, work out the rules and then communicate them as a family and then do it. So remember to be a good digital role model yourself. 
not perfect, but every day just striving to be the role model you want to be. Maybe you could even try these simple steps. I reckon keep it really, really simple. The KISS principle is just such a good thing to remember. Hide your phone more often. Install really good quality parental control apps or whatever they're called. Slow down. Downtime. Human connection time just might be what everybody needs. And like Christy said, be the pilot of the plane. You are the boss, not your children, even if they hate you for it now. Because one day they will thank you. And even if they don't thank you, you will be grateful that you were the parent your children needed. If you've got any tips on how you manage screen time at your place, I'd love to hear from you. So you can email me at parentalisanything at your abc.net.au or head to the Parental Is Anything webpage on the ABC site. Next time on Parental Is Anything Extracurricular Activities. Excellent boys, excellent. So my son who's seven, he's just finished basketball. He does Oz Kick and he's just about to start his first footy season. He does swimming and he does keyboard. And Charlotte's just about to start ballet and she's just about to start Oz Kick. She also does swimming. Out there in our busy, busy world, how do we get that right for each of our children? That's next time on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent. Mm-hmm.